From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. I'm Sam Brash. We're now just days away from the election, which probably means your TV, your news feeds are full of ads like this. Explain to your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, they do have to get out and vote and it they will. They say sentiment without action is the ruin of the soul. This is why we vote. Hi, I'm an actual doctor. Voting is shown to relieve the painful symptoms of civic constipation and electile dysfunction in the voting populace. This week, we're going to look at what works, what actually gets people to submit a ballot. And we're going to start at a rock concert. Michael Elizabeth Sackis, you're our reporter for this episode. And we were both uh, there at this show in Southwest Denver. Yeah, it featured hometown heroes Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. And it was one of those get-out-the-vote concerts. Ever since MTV started working with Rock the Vote in the 90s, this has become one of those go-to ways for all kinds of political groups to try and turn out young voters. And this concert, it, it definitely had an agenda. Yeah, it was organized by Students Demand Action for Gun Sense in America, and they were formed after the Parkland Massacre. And lots of students spoke on stage. Will you fight with me? Say yes. yes! Will you vote in the midterms? Yes! Thank you. And we wanted to check this out mostly to see what kind of people would show up. Would it be people who already planned on voting or, or would it be non-voters too? Right, and we found the audience was mostly made up of committed voters or intermittent voters, people who were at least engaged at some point in the electoral process. Um, I voted in the last election. I'm going to be voting when it comes up again. Midterms have been kind of hit and miss for me, but most of the time just presidential elections. If nobody votes, then we don't have our say. and it defeats the purpose of a democracy. Voting is the way to make the difference. So your your opinion, your views matter, they count. So we did meet one guy though, who said he'd only voted once. Uh, honestly, I haven't been the biggest proponent of voting uh, so far in my life. I voted to legalize marijuana when we were in college. <laughs> but his friend said she is a voter and that it's really important to her to vote. So I asked her what could she say to her friend right now to get him to vote. I'm that person. Stop being lazy! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I think it's like laziness. Sports center's on. <laughs> can't go out and vote. <laughs> and she wasn't the only one yelling at him. I mean, that was the whole message of the concert. When you don't vote because there's no good candidate, because you don't think your vote matters, or you are just too damn lazy to get out of your house and fulfill your civic duty, you are a part of the problem. The point was really to get people off their butts. But I don't really know, Sam. I didn't feel like this was an event aimed at getting people who've never voted to vote. It felt like it was really more about inspiring people who were more like on the fence. And of course, it was about turning out voters who are going to support stricter gun control. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and here's something we should note before we go any further. Colorado is really good at voter turnout. 70% of eligible Coloradans voted in the last election, putting us fourth in the country. But that still means 30% of people here did not vote in 2016. So this episode, we're going to tackle one question. If it's not rock concerts, what could get those people to vote?
Michael, here's one question I have. When it comes to this goal of getting non-voters to vote, a, a lot of what we hear about the problem is is access, that people would vote if registering was easier, if voting was easier, and if staying on the voter rolls was easier. But, but Colorado does make it pretty easy, right? Yeah. So just a few years ago, lawmakers made it so every registered Colorado voter gets a ballot in the mail no matter what. We got to look at the ballots as they arrived at the post office on East 53rd in Denver. So for the Postal Service, election time is actually kind of a warm-up for the holidays. You can also register to vote up through the day of the election. And you're no longer assigned to a polling place. You can vote anywhere in your county. And all that stuff makes it one of the easiest states to cast a vote in. So in spite of all of that, we still have more than a quarter of people not voting. I mean, I guess that means it's not all about access. Well, no, but access does play a role. There's lots of factors that go into voter turnout, but we saw real data in this election that when you make it harder to vote, fewer people cast a ballot. Yeah, absolutely. Make it easy and people are going to turn out to at least a point. How much does it matter? So one recent analysis compared Mississippi, which they said is the hardest state to cast a ballot, to the easiest state. Is that us? Uh, It's Oregon. Ah. But we're number two. Okay. And this analysis says ease of voting accounted for 11 points of the difference between Oregon's turnout rate and Mississippi's in 2016. And that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's clear making voting easier isn't the whole answer. I talked with a professor of political science at MIT, Dr. Adam Barinsky. And he studies states like Oregon that have made it really easy to vote. This notion that everyone would vote if we just let you drop a ballot in the mail, right? That the only thing that's preventing you from voting is the fact that it's hard physically to get yourself to the polls. I think it's just the wrong story. So what he says is that mail ballots, same-day registration, these policies mostly help likely voters cast a ballot. They aren't the key to turning out long-time non-voters. Hmm. So what do we know about people who really never or only rarely vote? People less likely to make it to the polls are Latinos, young people, people with lower levels of education and lower incomes. And these are nationwide trends that we also see play out in Colorado. Those are some of the demographics, but but why these groups? What makes them less likely to vote? So I spoke with Dr. Bridget King at Auburn University, and her book asks the same exact question that we're asking here right now. It's called, Why Don't Americans Vote? My answer would be, there are multiple reasons, and there's no one solution to address them all. And what are some of the reasons that she gave? One reason is that people in these groups may feel alienated or discouraged by the process. Um, It could be because of a personal experience that they've had with um, government or some government office, or just the observations they've made over time with respect to politics and political activity. So apathy, disillusionment, feeling like it's not just hard, that, that it won't do any good anyway. Yeah, exactly. That feeling of why bother, my vote doesn't matter, or the people in power are never going to represent me anyway, Or even this just isn't something people like me do. This is something marginalized groups can really internalize. And for King, education is a big part of the solution. And this might be my soapbox moment. If you think back to like elementary school, what we teach students is about the presidency. So we teach them about voting for president. But very little time is actually devoted to helping students understand the role of all the people who run our states and our local governments. And she added one more thing. 
that if these groups of people aren't being encouraged to vote, if candidates and groups aren't reaching out to them because maybe they've already been labeled as a low chance voter, that just increases their likelihood of never voting. Okay, so that's really interesting. She thinks, like, get out the vote efforts, the kind of things we see from political parties and activists ahead of an election, those do really matter. Yeah, she thinks they're at least a part of the picture of getting people to vote, but she wishes they weren't generally so partisan or issue-driven and that they worked more to encourage lifelong voting. Hmm. She does think that certain get-out-the-vote efforts can help turn out those non-voters, though. Did you talk to any people who, who run these sort of uh, get-out-the-vote campaigns in Colorado? I spoke with Jesse Mallory with Americans for Prosperity. They're a small government free market advocacy group. And he says what's most important is connecting with people where they are. And that could be at their front door or, he says, in a church or at school. You help them by giving them the tools to empower themselves. And that's a much different approach than somebody who's just like, hey, I just really need you to vote for this one person. I mean, it's just it's a completely different mindset. So Americans for Prosperity is a really well-funded group. They spend millions on their advocacy work and are a really powerful voice for conservative issues. And Mallory says when it comes to turning out voters that might support those causes, that it's really about creating relationships with people and not just at election time. What we don't do is just host an event, say, let's have a rally. And then we go home. You know, it's not what we do. We check in with them. We talk with them and we stay in contact with them. Um, as I said earlier, it's that one-on-one contact. That's, that's where you move the dial. Um, you know, it's transforming people one by one. And uh, that takes patience and it takes time. All right, so the point here is that the best way maybe to get non-voters to vote is not to talk to them once, but again and again and again, and to have a relationship with them. Right, and that's something I learned from Get Out the Vote researchers, that the key to getting a non-voter to vote is a personal connection with people in their lives or their community. It's really those people sitting down with them and talking with them who have the most power to inspire voting. And that kind of got me wondering, you know, what would that be like and what would that sound like? Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to give you the chance to listen in on some conversations between voters and non-voters who they're close to. Hey there, I'm Jim Hill. As a digital editor here at CPR, my job is often to make sure that our stories are concise and that they're accessible online. There's nothing I can do, however, about the dense and wordy amendments, propositions, and candidate statements that go along with your ballot, but I can help you understand it. The CPR 2018 Voter Guide is here to help. We lay out the arguments, break down the races, and link to stories for the context you need, all in a language you can actually understand. Find it at CPR.org slash voter guide. And while you're there, consider becoming a CPR member. It's what makes things like the Voter Guide and Purplish possible. You're back with Purplish, a show about Colorado's democracy. Okay, Michael, in your research, you found that maybe the best way to get non-voters to vote is to have someone they know, someone they're close to, sit down and ask them to vote, to to make a direct appeal. Which gave us this idea. Uh, What if we actually listened in on people as they maybe talked to a loved one 
who didn't vote or hasn't voted for a while. So let's descend from the world of theory and statistics and and see how this might actually work. Yeah, so we tracked down two pairs of people in Denver. And I do want to acknowledge something first. All four of these people happen to be on the left side of the political spectrum. And and that's not to say that all non-voters are dormant Democrats. A little over half do lean liberal, but another 30 percent are more conservative and another 20 percent have no real ideological lean. And that's according to a Pew study from 2014. Okay, good point. Um, Which pair do you want to start with? So I think we should start with Genevieve and Jeremy. My name is... Well, oh, which last name do we use? <laughs> Probably our new. We just changed our last we name. We just changed our married. last name. Yeah, we, we combined it. So their last names were Jeremy Kozak and Genevieve Heine, and they combined them into Kozny. Kozny. It means like leather or something in some foreign <laughs> language. We just we had to Google it to make sure it wasn't Not something like a terrible. Not word or like yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. They were a pretty cute couple. <laughs> yeah. And we met this newlywed couple in their apartment in Lodo in Denver. They're psychology grad students, and Jeremy voted for the first time in this last election. But before that, he'd never voted. I grew up in like a pretty middle class suburban home, religious home. My parents are both pretty conservative. And I, I think neither of them made a huge deal about voting. Like they both voted and they would always vote and they'd always vote conservatively, but they just like wouldn't talk about many issues. I think a lot of it comes back down to like, I was fine no matter what. And so like voting wouldn't really change like my experience a whole lot. Yeah. And I think I remember us specifically having those conversations too about like, we have all of this privilege and likely like we're going to be okay. I think my identity as a woman is like a piece that divides us a little bit on that. And there are some ways that I don't feel okay. The reason that I decided to vote um, was because I was looking at all of the people in my life, right? And realizing that, like, all these people that I loved had experiences of, like, violence, like, um, sexual violence specifically. I probably had known women and maybe some men in my life that had been victims before, but, like, just never been aware of it, never talked about it. And then gun violence, too. Mm -hmm. Um, It was always something that I heard happened, shootings happened, right? But I met people, right, who had had happened to. Me. (laughs) Yeah. Those were big things for me, especially on those two issues, which have both personally affected me. Like, my mom died when I was 14. She was shot um, the first time that I told you. I'm pretty sure it was on our first date. And so I told you about it, and I felt a little weird doing so on a first date because I'm like, this is not very lighthearted. And most people don't anticipate that she's going to have died in a shooting based on the things that they know about me. Um, yeah. To know that, like, my experience matters enough to you to, like, to do something about. Yeah. That's why it was, I think, upsetting hearing that you didn't vote because, like, I'm like, these things matter. Like, yeah. this is how we stop this stuff um, is by not putting people in office that, like, are going to continue to perpetuate the problem I, it, for, for me like the first time I ever connected it to politics was when one of the mass shootings happened mm-hmm. suddenly I wasn't just thinking like oh man that's too bad like that sucks I was thinking like this is real these people's lives are changed like Genevieve's life was changed and like what what are we going to do to make this not happen again I'm not going to not do anything anymore will you continue to vote throughout our life together I, I think I'm going to. 
I'm gonna keep trying to know people who are affected by all of these issues and like noticing when I'm affected. And I think that's gonna be the stuff that keeps motivating me. I don't, I don't see like allowing myself to get complacent again. <laughs> I'll try not to tell you who to vote for anymore, but. Oh, you can, I'll do my own thing. Yeah, as you should, that's the deal. That was Jeremy and Genevieve Kozny talking at their apartment in downtown Denver. And their ballots weren't hanging out on the counter or anywhere else. Both of them had already voted this year. Michael, that story of how Jeremy became a voter, it seems like the perfect example of what you found in your reporting. People often don't vote until someone close to them gives them a reason to. Exactly. They have to see it as meaningful and important to the people around them. But I do think it's worth mentioning that Jeremy also fits these demographics of people who are already likely to be voters in Colorado. Right. He's white. He's young, but he's not super young. He's educated. Yeah, he's got all that. So in a lot of ways, Jeremy might have been right up against the line between being a non-voter and a voter anyway. It just took a little push for him to get over that barrier from a partner who really cared about whether or not he voted. Yeah, but I think for a lot of non-voters that the barrier can be so much higher, like for this next gentleman we're going to hear from. My name is Sidney Quintana. I'm a Denver native. I'm 68 years old. So we visited Sydney in his home. It's a public housing unit in North Denver. And, and he's a Hickoria Apache, right? Yeah, and he has deep roots in New Mexico. But he grew up here. And you got in touch with him through his nephew. I did, Philip Cano. I am 31 years old and born in Denver, Colorado. And I used to do construction full time. And now I, I am a uh, studio engineer. So Sydney is a non-voter. And Philip agreed to let us run microphones while he tried to convince his uncle to vote. So we're going to let this play out again. But to get them started, we asked Philip to talk about when he realized that his uncle did not vote. I've assumed he's not a voter probably most of my life. I mean, I feel like voting could probably should be able to help more. But I feel that his generation and where he comes from uh, has lost that and the want and just the general need to vote. They don't have that anymore. They, they've lost that faith. We didn't lose it. We put it away. After so many years of this broken system, I choose to put it away. Are you, do you feel like you'd, there'd be any barriers for you to vote? Do you think that you could be able to vote freely? Do you Absolutely. think there's anything keeping you from voting? No. You know, is, no, is, no is, is this system me. keeping you from voting? I don't drive my car when it's broken. The system's broken, and people need to acknowledge that. In the climate of Donald Trump, uh, you don't feel the need that it's more necessary to try to vote to just get this gone and moved on. We're never going to get this gone. That's, that's my opinion. Stupidity should be painful. So would you teach your grandsons to vote? I did. I have. Because I do think it's important. But while you guys are busy voting, we're busy pounding the pavement about the injustice, the inequality the discrimination, the hatred. I'd rather fight that on a level that I'm familiar with, which is the streets of this city, uh, like this gentrification of this city. We were all affected by it. I mean, look at your community. How many minorities do you see in your community these days? Not a lot. You and your brothers? <laughs> <laughs> Me and my mom and my dad. Right, exactly. And that was someplace that we went to eat. Pick your sandwiches on Friday night. We could go listen to all the jazz we wanted. 
all the old little shops that were were family owned, they don't exist. And if they do, they're catering to white America. What about your your local council person? You know your your locals who are right here dealing with the streets and the ones that are right here dealing with the gentrification. I've already done that. My community's already gone. My community does not exist here. There's nothing for me to fight for here anymore. I'm not real happy about that. What would you want? What, what's going what's gonna to pull you back to voting? What It'll never happen. Equal justice, fairness in the employment. When you tell me that there is somebody that you want to vote for and not lesser of two evils, I'll be standing right behind you too. I might even vote. Do you think that you can find a politician that is willing to fix this government and fire Congress? I mean, I agree that there's not anybody like that right now. Right now. I, I can't bring myself to not vote. I can't, I, can't, I can't bring myself to say the same thing. I can't bring myself to put away to put it away yet. Yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't got to that point. I still personally... You're not my yeah, age. I, I, I personally still have faith that voting could still do something. At least show, at least show that we're trying. You know, that, that's, that's how I feel. I can't bring myself to put away my vote yet. I'm glad that you guys have hope. Hope is important. Dreams are important. But I understand one thing. The left wing and the right wing is the same bird. That bird's been dead a long time. And if you can resurrect it, resurrect it. Because you're going to need it, not me. I'll be dead. And, uh, <laughs> I'll be dead before you're 40. <laughs> resurrect it because you're going to need it. Will I vote? No. That was Philip Cano speaking to his uncle, Sidney Quintana, at his home in North Denver. Michael, what do you take away from that interview? So I think for me, it blew up all of these stereotypes about non-voters. That they're lazy or apathetic or unintelligent. Yeah, or just uninterested. Some non-voters are going to be like Sydney. They've decided to put their vote away because they see voting as a sham. But they've made this choice to not be involved. Right. So, so what would you say to people who still have hope in our electoral system and want to improve it? So of course, I'm going to say go for it. Because I think one positive thing we really learned is that people are the best way to encourage voting. And some people are going to be like Sidney Quintana. But others still need someone in their life to make that appeal. But it also matters how you go about that. I think guilt probably isn't going to be your best tactic, and I think that's what a lot of people reach for. Saying voting is your duty, or if you don't vote, you can't complain later. Exactly. If you want someone to vote, I think you have to be there to teach them how it works, if that's what they need. And you have to explain to them why it matters to you and why maybe it should matter to them. You can't just talk at them. I think you have to really listen. If you want their voice to be included, I think you need to start by honoring that voice yourself. Okay, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks, this was fun. 
One final thought before we go. If you listen to this podcast, I'm guessing you've already voted or you're planning to vote. But if you think someone in your life isn't a voter, it's not too late to try and change their mind. There are polling centers all across Colorado where you can register to vote and vote all the way up through Election Day. And Colorado Public Radio wants to help you have these conversations with loved ones. We've put together a quick guide to get the conversation going, some strategies, some information, some questions you might ask. You can find it at CPR.org slash go vote. If you want, you can record your conversation and send it to us at purplish at CPR.org. That's purplish at CPR.org. We'll be doing one more episode summing up the results of the election next week. Thank you to everybody who's been listening to this podcast. It's been a total blast to produce and to see how many people really care about this stuff. Again, just just thanks. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. You can learn more about becoming a CPR member and join today at CPR.org. This episode was written and produced by myself and Michael Elizabeth Sackis with help from Rachel Esterbrook, Kim Wynn, and Brad Turner, who also wrote our theme music. News tape this episode from Nine News and MSNBC. Audio production by John Pino. And this episode, like every episode, was edited by Megan Burley. See you next week. Thank you.